Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And next Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest Half Street High Heat. We appreciate you joining us as always. I am Amanda, and I am joined as always by my supercilious co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Make sure you find us on Twitter and check out the show there at Half Street High Heat. And check out the website at halfstreethighheat.com, where you can find all kinds of great content and a link to our T Public page to get podcast merch. And make sure you check out the YouTube channel, The Rundown with Half Street High Heat which also will have some great videos for you. How are you guys doing? Do you call it super silly? Super sillious, which I forgot last time that I was supposed to be giving the definitions for this, is haughtily disdainful or contemptuous, which seems like a perfect description. I mean, uh, you know, defining the word doesn't really help when you use other words that also need to be defined. <laughs> Fair enough. So... Fair enough. Well, um, it's a good night to be disdainful of Patrick Corbin's start, but we will get to that in a bit. Let's start out with our quick pitch, which is um, should you root for or against a perfect game, which is relevant this week as there was, well, there were two um, no-hitters this week, but one of them was nearly a perfect game, gave me a little um, flashback to Max Scherzer's (laughs) nearly perfect game and pissed me off all over again. Yeah, yeah so, so this is... Oh, sorry, Nick, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I thought of this because obviously everyone remembers the Max Scherzer game, but um, if, you know, the Nats were getting no, or a, excuse me, perfect gamed by any team, doesn't matter, by any team, any pitcher, 
would you root for the Nats to break up the perfect game or would you root for the perfect game? I would root for the perfect game. Yeah. Baseball game is just a baseball game. There's going to be another one tomorrow. But a perfect game is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I and agree. I would definitely root yeah, for you're, the perfect game. You're not a baseball fan if you actively root against a perfect game. Perfect games are so rare. Like, I, I think uh, Felix Hernandez threw the last one, like, 13 years ago. 2012. Yeah. Uh, uh, nine years it ago. been that long? Well, I, see, I had the 12 right. just wasn't the right use of the 12. Um, <laughs> they're so rare. You have to root for them. Yeah, absolutely. So what if it was a no-hitter? Oh, uh, no-hitters no hitters are, like, it's like, it's like last night. As soon as he hit the batter, you're like, eh, well, it's not a perfect game. Yeah, to be honest, I kind of <laughs> lost all interest after he hit the batter. Like, like the Padres one was so special because right. he's from San Diego, and it was the first one in franchise history. But as soon as he hit the batter last night, you're like, mm. And also, it was because he hit the batter. Joe Musgrove, that is, hit the batter in the fourth inning. So there was like, okay, well, the no-hitter's still intact, whereas right. uh, Rodon lost his in the ninth inning. So it's like, yeah, yeah I guess the no-hitter's still there, but... You, yeah, you it feels like a disappointment that, when it's that close to a perfect game. Yeah, you don't have that time to build up the uh, you know suspense and excitement again. It, it's all right there. So that that night that or that game that the Max Scherzer almost had the perfect game. I uh, I think it was like the sixth or seventh inning, and I called my brother to tell him that he was you know throwing a perfect game. And then we got on the phone in the ninth inning, and we're sitting there watching it kind of together on the phone. And I remember when when he hit the batter, and it was just it was the, it was so deflating, you know. And then he gets the he gets the no hitter, and it's still like so awesome. It's a no hitter, and that's such a big accomplishment. But it just felt like you were disappointed and pissed off. So it's different when that happens so much earlier in the game that you're not really worrying about it. I believe it was Monty's uh, rookie of the year, Pavin Smith, uh, just had had the sweetest home run swing I've ever seen. Just so smooth. <laughs> yeah, of course, it was off Daniel Hudson, but it just... Yeah, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it was literally like picture per, video perfect or whatever to teach a home run swing. Just super easy. Oh, yeah. I am i don't have the TV in front of me in the room where I'm recording, so I just went and looked at the... My, 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 how the game day and have I'm turned. Like, oh, now it's 11 to 6 instead of 10 to 6. Yep. Cool. Well, it was pretty crappy night for the DC sports ball teams. It was um, sports puck as well. Sports puck ball teams, but there are still lots of things to talk about besides this hot mess of an evening. Um, let's get our weekend review, and then we will start talking nats. Yes, let's check in on where things stand right before entering the weekend. The Red Sox won nine straight after starting 0-3. They did lose today, so the MLB record for a winning streak after starting 0-3 is nine games. The Cubs had 59 hits through 12 games. That's the least amount of hits through 12 games in MLB history. On the other side, the Dodgers had 108 hits in 11 games. That's a top five most in MLB history through 11 games. The Astros announced that they placed Jordan Alvarez. Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, Martin Maldonado, and Rebel Garcia on the injured list, quote, quote, one is reported positive for COVID and the four are other just close contacts. It will be announced that their independent partner league, the Atlantic League, will experiment with moving back the mound 12 inches, experiment with the double hook DH. 
This is when the team loses the DH when their starting pitcher comes out. Then it turns to regular NL rules. This announcement comes out after MLB front office executives believe that the game is currently in a crisis mode with the product on the field deteriorating greatly. Well, all that happens is strikeouts and home runs. That's what you get. It will be announced that they're going to be celebrating Jackie Robinson Day on Thursday and Friday this year. And well over 100 MLB players are going to donate their April 15th pay to the Players Alliance Breaking Barriers campaign. Republican congressmen announced that they're seeking to revoke MLB's antitrust exemption for moving the All-Star game. This is not the first time politicians on either side of the uh, spectrum have threatened this. This is also not the first time anyone has either, and it won't be the last. I speak for all baseball fans when I say, please succeed taking away the antitrust exemption. To the end of the least, in the fifth place are your Washington Nationals at what will probably be 3-7 to seven as they're losing 11-6 right now. They took 2-3 from St. Louis, and they have a four-game series against Arizona, which is off to a bad start. Fourth place are the 5-8 and eight Braves. Ronald Acuna is playing absolutely out of his mind right now. He has produced or scored on 43% of the Braves' runs this season. He has 25% of the Braves' hits so far this season. And this week alone, in the last seven games, he has five home runs and 15 hits. The only issue is he's the only player playing well. Their starting pitching ERA is 11th in the National League, and their lineup has been abysmal. In third place are the 5-7 and seven Marlins, who won the series against the Braves, and now go face the Giants out west. In second place are the 6-6 six and six Phillies, who again come back down to 500 after a hot start, and now have the Cardinals this weekend. And in first place are the 5-3 and three Mets, who just... Didn't play a game again today because of rain. They now go to Colorado where it's supposed to snow Friday night. This week review has been brought to you in part by your local neighborhood chilies. Please stop on in or get curbside. Get some amazing famous chilies nachos. And we wish a very Ramadan Kareem to all those who celebrate. This has been your weekend weekend review. I stuttered. Right at the end. Almost yeah, so I'm super intrigued by this double hook DH experiment that they're doing because I know that it's likely inevitable that there will be some kind of DH, but I'm really curious to see how that plays out and whether people like or hate it, whether the players like or hate it, and just kind of what it looks like. So um, it's interesting that they're they're debuting that. I had this a really. Year. I figured it would take longer. I had a really loud sneeze during that, so I I apologize <laughs> if I if I missed. Uh, you saying it, but uh, did you guys see, or Ryan, did you talk about how uh, they're experimenting moving the mound back a foot? I sure did. I sure did. Oh, well, we uh, appreciate you uh, muting yourself for that. Oh, it was loud. Snooze. It was loud. Um, what's your guys' thoughts on that? So this, I have mine. <laughs> this was long overdue. Yeah. The Atlantic League wanted to try two feet back, but they compromised on one. I thought they were going to lower the mound. Um, they lowered the mound before when pitching became too dominant, and we're seeing that again right now. We've had three seasons in a row where there's more strikeouts than hits. Those are the only three seasons in MLB history. Batting average is the least it's ever been. Sorry, not the least it's ever been. It's in the bottom 10. We're also seeing less hits per game at any other point in MLB history. It's not a good product right now. Pitching is becoming very, very dominant and almost too dominant. As MLB exec said, the game's in a crisis mode right now because the product on the field isn't very good, and they're going to test this because in the past, adjusting the mound has helped produce more offense. 
because the velocity is going to drop a little bit, off-speed aren't going to be as effective, and in turn, the product on the field will get better. There should be more balls, a lot more balls in play, because we're seeing less balls in play per game than any other point in MLB history. So that, in turn, will help. It's all the way down in the Atlantic League right now. So if it works in the Atlantic League, then we'll see it in A-ball through AAA. So this is still a ways away from going to MLB if it ever goes anywhere. But I'm surprised it took this long for MLB to test it out somewhere. My, yeah, I agree with... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. I, I want to hear yeah, what you, you think. I would like to see a little bit less dominance of the pitchers. All the strikeouts are annoying. I remember, you know, it used to be like people were ashamed of themselves when they struck out. It's like nobody liked to strike out. Now it's so common that nobody even cares or thinks about it really anymore. But um, I don't know. I I don't have any confidence this will ever make its way all the way up, as you just mentioned, Ryan, to the major leagues. But especially if they come to some sort of arrangement where they allow a foreign substance to increase, you know, spin rates and all of that like already the pitching is is so dominant that if it continues to get better you're just going to continue to see less offense and that is ostensibly what they're looking for is more offense that's why they keep tweaking the rules and the one of the arguments for the dh and all that is more offense so i think this is a a way that they can do that that is it, it not that big of a deal i mean it's one foot but it will it will shift the balance of power back towards hitters a little bit um okay um i i think that's kind of you know i was surprised to hear amanda's okay with that to be honest with you really well, yeah there's, there's that but like she's saying oh move the mound back a foot it's not that big of a deal but the dh is life altering the dh like, is a much bigger change than- no it is not that is complete the oh man i don't feel like getting into this but no, the the mound moving back a foot affects more people than the DH does. You you see that, right? It affects more people, I suppose, but that's not I, that's not the the argument. Moving the mound back to. a foot changes the game more than adding the DH to half the league where the other half already has it. That that's just that's facts. Half the league already has the DH. It's not right? like the AL already pitches from 61 feet. That's okay, not- no, I'm not saying it doesn't change the game. My point is I think that You the, said the it's game not a big changed- deal. You literally just said it's not that big of a deal. It's I'm one not, foot. and I Exactly. I'm not saying that it doesn't change the game. I'm saying I think that that's less of a big deal than some of the other changes that they've proposed. I don't I like the idea of there being a little bit more offense. I just don't like the DH as the way to accomplish that. It's not like I'm anti more offense. I just I don't like the DH for myriad reasons we've gone into a million times. There's so no rather than changing the rules, you would rather change, you know, the the, the structure of, of the baseball field because that makes sense. I don't uh, know. You're salty about this for some reason. I can't comprehend. But no, I, because it, it's a contradicting arguments. You don't like the DH because it's changed, but you're completely fine with this. I don't which not like the DH because the, it's a change. Like I yes. said, we don't need to rehash the DH argument we for the millionth time, but. I'm just saying I don't mind this change as much as I would mind the DH. But what, think, tell us your thoughts on it because you said you had thoughts and then you asked us ours. So what are your thoughts? On I it? think moving the mound back is stupid, but I do. I am pro, you know, more offense in the league. Um, I just don't like moving the mound back as a way to do that. I think the DH and maybe juiced baseballs like they've done in the past would be would you know 
reach the result they're looking for with, I guess, is just plain and simple more offense. I, I completely get Ryan's point about, you know, there's more strikeouts and hits. I think a, a lot of that can be attributed to people trying to hit more home runs. Yeah. Baseball used to be just making contact, you know, the, the you know, slap the ball the other way kind of approach. But now it's if you don't hit 20 plus home runs, you're you're viewed as not a great hitter or just, a, you know, on base guy even though that that's not the case. You don't have to hit for power to be effective at baseball. It's just the, the way the offensive, you know, value is perceived now is with the long ball and how many runs you drive in and how many extra base hits you have. So I, you know, I, I see why this would be, um, you know, tinkered with and thrown around, but I just don't like it because it completely changes how everyone plays the game. I mean, just pitching from a foot back while it doesn't seem like that big of a deal is a big deal. And every single pitcher, not only in the league, but, you know, in the minors and through high school, college, they're all going to have to change. And they've all been, you know, busting their butts just to get, you know, to the big leagues. And now they're completely switching up the rules on them. It's just, I, I don't like it. I would rather a rule change or, you know, a, I guess, equipment change like juice baseballs before you go altering fields to make it even. But I do see, you know, Ryan's point that they have done this in the past, so it's not unprecedented. It's just, you know, the way the game is now. I would like to say that whatever they decide to do, like whatever rule changes, equipment changes, field changes, whatever they're going to do to try to alter the product to be the way they want, I wish they would just do it and be done with it and stop screwing around with it every year because it's very hard, especially when they keep changing the baseball, for instance, to judge, you know, records and playing across different years. And, you know, if you gave up a bunch of home runs during the years where the baseballs were juiced, but another guy played during years where they weren't, it just it messes with all of the record keeping and I wish they would just decide what they're going to do and do it and then let the game be because it, all of this tinkering every year is annoying as hell. Yeah. Like I'm pro pitchers using pine tar because one hitters are allowed to, and it gives pitchers better command, but also it already is a pitcher dominant league, but I don't know. I'm, it's like, I, I want I understand how it sounds. I want there to be more offense. I just don't want anyone touching the mound. I just don't think that's the way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, but we'll we'll see what they do. I mean, they're going to keep they're going to keep trying to accomplish that ultimate goal, and who knows if they'll manage it. But I just think they need to make their decisions and be done with it because it's not fair to the players, in my opinion, to keep changing things year after year after year when people I mean, try to get used to things the way they are, and then they keep tinkering with everything all the time nothing's going to matter them a matter to mlb and the the people who make the rules as much as game length because we all know that's the real problem in sports right that's the real issue yeah you do never know though when you sit down for a baseball game if it's going to be two hours or five hours well so. keeps you know keeps it exciting exactly exactly okay let's talk nats um is joe ross the ace of this staff Joe, I love Joe Ross, Ross, Nick's boy, um, two great starts. You know, he went out. I believe it was five shutout innings against the Dodgers. Yep. Pitched really well, and then against the Cardinals lineup, again six shutout shutout innings. Correct or give up one run? 
I don't have the stat in front of me. It was a ele- he's gone eleven scoreless innings. <laughs> yeah, to yes, start that's the year. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Again, that's two shutout innings in a time when no one's really pitching. Um, and that's kind of a that's kind of an issue, you know. Joe Ross is the one bright spot right now. You look at it. Max had a bad start. Um, Corbin's given up sixteen runs in six innings this year to start. Strauss had a really weird start on. Thursday when he or Wednesday when he gave up eight runs and was rubbing his shoulder the entire time. Not really sure what's going on there. So when your big three guys who you're paying a hundred million dollars to aren't exactly performing how you're paying them, you know, you have the fifteenth worst ERA, starting pitching ERA in National League, you have that one nice bright spot. And right now it's Joe Ross. And it's so refreshing because the Nats have a young guy who's pitching well. We've seen Fetty come up and suck. He did pitch well his last outing, but that's the only good outing he's ever had in his career. We've seen Voth come up and suck. Um, G. Lito, when he was here, struggled. Reynaldo Lopez struggled. All these guys who keep coming up struggled. And then the Nats are like, you know what, Joe? You're a freaking starting pitcher. You haven't pitched since Game 5 of the World Series. Comes out, throws 11 scoreless innings. What a nice surprise. Yeah, I did not expect that. I mean, I was hoping that he was going to, you know, I had a year off. He was going to come back fresh. And I kind of thought I would with some rust, you know, maybe have a couple of tough outings in the beginning of the year and then hopefully get it together. But he's just, he's been very impressive. I have no idea how long, I mean, obviously he's not going to have a zero ERA, but I have no idea how long he can keep up, you know, pitching this well. But right now the starting pitching, which, you know, we always expect to be the strength of the Nats has just not been good at all. Corbin's had two terrible outings in a row. Strauss's last outing was super concerning. You know, they had him. I, I read that he was out, you know, playing catch on the field the day after that start, like he normally does for what that's worth. So maybe there's not an injury, but it certainly seemed like something was going on. And, you know, Max is, Max is going to be good, but he's not, you know, Max in his heyday. So I don't know, like if those three guys can't get right, nothing Joe Ross does is going to really matter for this team, but it certainly is good to see him finally maybe being the guy we always hoped he would be yeah uh i'm you know as ryan said joe ross is my boy i've always been a stand at joe ross but it's nice to kind of hopefully see it come to fruition for you know extended period of time rather than just an outing here and there um he's still relying on just two pitches which is a little concerning you would like to see a third one be utilized a little bit more but it's hard to argue with the result uh, I have the numbers in front of me. He's throwing a sinker 42.9% of the time, and that thing is wicked movement. If it if it moves laterally three feet and is coming in at 95, 96 like it has been, yeah, you'll be okay. Um, and then he's sli- throwing a slider more, which is 31.4% of the time. So, you know, they're going opposite directions. I'm sure there's a, a pitching ninja, you know, overlay of the, the two Joe Ross pitches mm-hmm. going opposite directions, and that's pretty awesome. That's going to go look up and fall asleep to tonight. But um, I, I, like I said, it's, it's very nice to see it come to fruition. My one, you know, slight concern, and it's not that big of a deal, but he's pretty poor in getting people to chase or just swing and miss. He ranks in the 17th percentile on that, which is obviously pretty poor, but Again, if he's getting ground ball outs and, you know, his hard hit percentage isn't that high or he ranks in the 86th percentile on that. So 
people aren't hitting barreling him up. And obviously that lends itself to, you know, 11 scoreless innings. So if he can continue this and be a pitch to contact guy and, you know, kind of stabilize the rotation, we're not talking about a five starter. We're talking about a three because that that's typically what most rotations look for from a three starter is bridging the gap and kind of stabilizing the rotation and, and whatnot. So uh, I'm very excited and very high. I had him as my breakout candidate and so far so good with that. So, and you know, as both of you said, it, it's very, very needed. Yes. Uh, even it was needed anyway, even if our top three were doing what they were expected to do, we still really needed somebody to, you know, come in and round out the bottom of that rotation. And with the, the top three, not doing what we need them to do right now, it's definitely needed. And you, and you mentioned chase rate. I, I want to circle back to Corbin just because what we're seeing from Corbin right now is remarkably concerning. He's given up five home runs and six innings. That's absolutely horrible. Um, I believe he struck out four people. His average exit velocity this year is 97 miles per hour. Guys are teeing off of him. Yeah. That's um, two, He's in the second percentile. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've never seen it that really low. Really bad. I've but never seen it that low is it for an anyone. Injury? Like he didn't just forget how here's, to throw a baseball. Like what the hell is happening with him? But here's the most concerning thing: his chase rate is in the eighth percentile. In 2019, when Patrick Corbin was good for the Nationals, his slider had the most chases out of the strike zone of any pitch in baseball, and he was very successful. Last year, we saw the chase rate drop. Now it's in the it's in the eighth percentile. That is extremely alarming because he's not getting guys to chase. He doesn't have velocity in his fastball. He averages just under 91 miles per hour on his fastball. So when he has that slider, it moves a ton. And when people are swinging and missing on it, we're going to see what we saw in 2019. Now, guys aren't biting on the slider because he's, you know, he's, really, he's never really thrown it for strikes, but he's gotten away with that because it was a strike for so long. Now, I don't know if he's tipping it or what. Guys aren't swinging at the slider, and they're sitting fastball on him, and they're absolutely teeing him up. I don't know if he needs to do a phantom IL injury. Like we said last time after his first start, MLB Network thought he was hurt. I don't know if he needs that. There's something with his shoulder, but these last two years are extremely concerning, especially remember that Patrick Corbin's contract is backloaded. So if things go really, really south for the Nats, Really, really Hard south. For, what is for his Rizzo. last year? It's like thirty-five or thirty-seven it's, it's million. 35 in the last million. year. <laughs> yeah. <on>. So <laughs> they have about over three hundred million dedicated to Strauss and Corbin. Strauss had a very concerning start. He was only throwing ninety-one on his fastball. That's extremely concerning. And then Corbin comes out against the Diamondbacks, who aren't good, by the way. The Diamondbacks are not a good team and got absolutely lit up. He gave up ten runs. Extremely two concerning. Innings, or yes. Not even two oh. innings. I like I don't know if it's the new pitching coach that these guys aren't meshing with. Like again, it's very small sample sizes. I'm not concerned about Max's four-run outing he had against the Braves. I'm not concerned about that. He's probably gonna dial it down again tomorrow and be fantastic. But what we've seen from Corbin, and especially the last outing from Strauss, very, very concerning. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's the pitching coach, like I said. But there's something that's not meshing with these guys with the team that has $100 million dialed into its rotation this year. And to continue with the stats, we're, you know, we're, we're big stat guys tonight. 
uh, if we're just talking like what percentage of balls in play are hard hit, you know, when hitters are going against Corbin in 2017 and 18. So the two years before he joined the Nats, it was 35.6%. 2019, 38.7, 2020, 44.2. Now it's up to 53.8. So there's a steady progression of how many times or, you know, how many balls are getting hard hit off Corbin. I mean, you don't have to throw hard to do well in this league, but you have to be able to locate if you can't. So if you're not throwing hard and you can't locate, which he hasn't been, you're going to get hit and you're going to get hit hard whether it's by, you know, a good team like the Dodgers or a not so good team like the Diamondbacks. These guys are still they're all pros and they're all able to hit a 90 mile an hour fastball if it's right down the middle. So, you know, if, if this is who he is, it's not the end of the world. It's definitely concerning, but if he can locate and still has that wipeout slider, he can adjust, but something is up because this is not who Patrick Corbin is. I don't think he's ever going to be a a Cy Young caliber guy, but he's definitely better than what we've seen. Yeah, and the word of the day is concerning. (laughs) Let's move on and talk about something that's more Not concerning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something not concerning, which is Josh Harrison, who is off to a very, very good start. Yeah, he he started the year over three. You know, first game back from COVID, guy sucked over three, completely unacceptable. But on the year, he's hitting five thirty three, five eighty eight, eight hundred. Um, he's the team's five hitter right now, and he's just getting on. And he's kind of reminding me what Howie Kendrick did, and honestly, yep. what even a Struble Cabrera did. These were guys you didn't really expect them to do anything, but they just found. Sorry, I knocked over my water. They just found ways to produce. And he's Mm -hmm. getting on. He's hitting the ball extremely well. And it's such a nice pace because I feel like every single year the Nats have that random guy. No one expected Howie Kendrick to do anything. Guy was a complete stud here. You know, the Shubo Cabrera got DFA'd, and he's got a freaking welcome back tribute video. And I I saw that, and I was like, well, you know, I get it. You know, Shubo Cabrera was pretty good here. Josh Harrison's that guy right now. It's that guy you're not expecting who is doing fantastic so far, and I love it. I love it, too. Did you see, I think it was Jesse Doherty who said he uh, had interviewed, or somebody had interviewed Cabrera and said, I was waiting for the Nats to call this offseason, I'm not going to lie, but nobody ever called. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I get it. He's not like, you know, a world beater, but Jordy Mercer and we got like, Josh Harrison's all the matters. Well, yeah, yeah. but I'm just I saying, some of the I, guys they went and got, I feel like Cabrera could have been a better option. I don't think it was necessarily the wrong move to move on from him. Same reason it wasn't the wrong move to move on from Sean Doolittle, even though, you know, his velocity is magically back. Um, but as far as Josh Harrison goes, love it. And, you know, I would love it even more if we had – like a, a solid second baseman and Josh Harrison was doing this off the bench. But yeah. instead we have Josh and don't get me wrong. I love that he's doing it. And maybe it is the consistent at bats that, you know, is helping him reach this level. But, you know, he was supposed to be a bench bat. And if, you know, you can apply this to a bench role and plug in solid numbers every day at second base, the Nats are looking a lot more, 
um, you know, well-rounded and deep as opposed to giving a guy a day off. And now you have freaking Jordy Mercer as your five hitter. Like it's frustrating, but you know, in all things considered, you're, you're, you would take this over the alternative of Josh Harrison not doing well. So hopefully Indeed. he can t- keeps it up. Yes, that is very true. I, you know, obviously he was not expected to do this well, and it's nice to have a bright spot when there are so many things not going their way. And it is, you know, with all the proper caveats about it's still early and nobody should be panicking and blah, blah, blah. I just, I feel like there are some very obvious concern points with this club right now, but Josh Harrison definitely um, gives them a little bit of padding in a place where they weren't expecting it. I would be okay if uh, Josh Harrison is our everyday second baseman, as long as we have that guy off the bench who can give the guy in front of him a day off without it being a liability to our offense. But right now we don't have that, so it's just... Well, I wish we had a guy at second base so Josh Harrison can fulfill that role we signed him to do. But, you know, it is what it is. We'll see what moves happen along the way. All right. So let's talk Robles, who, you know, much was made both um, on this podcast and elsewhere about him being the new leadoff guy. And that didn't last very long. The last two games, he's been moved down to the nine hole. Um, Obviously, his batting average was not as good since the start of the season as it was in spring training. Um, or his on-base percentage, I should say, which is a more important stat for a leadoff guy. But what do you guys think about this moving him down? So, after the first series, we talked about how Robles started hot. You know, he made improvements at the plate. He wasn't chasing. He was watching pitches. He was working counts. He was taking balls the other way. And we're like, did Robles finally learn? He didn't. Every game since, he's been back to his old robust self. I'm a little surprised they moved him down this quickly. I thought they would make it, you know, last a little bit longer. But on the season, he's hitting 182, 325, 242. His last seven games, including tonight, he's hitting 154 with a 214 on base percentage, a 231 slugging, and 10 strikeouts. He's back to his old self. He's in a very, very big funk. Um... And when he doesn't have the track record that other guys do when they're in a funk, like Trey Turner, he had a couple of games where he, he just wasn't really hitting. He's saying like two six on the year, but again, he's Trey Turner has that track record. So that's okay. Robles doesn't have it. And I do think it's the right move because I don't know. I feel like we need to see it more consistently from Robles than the three games we saw this year for him to earn it. I feel like they should probably put him eighth, but I know Davey likes that double leadoff thing. But moving them down, I do like the lineup of having Trey lead off Juan second because you're getting Juan Soto as many at-bats as you possibly can. Love it. Then Harrison, I was not Harrison, excuse me, Bell, Schorber, Harrison. I do think that's a pretty good lineup. It's not as deep when Robles is on top, but a guy leading off with a low 200 on base percentage is hurting your team long term, and that can't happen. So that's why he was moved down. I understand it. Just surprised it happened so quickly. Yeah, I, I echo what Ryan said, and again, I, I don't know when I said it, but um, I mentioned that if Robles hitting leadoff was hurting Trey, even though it might, in theory, be helping Robles, it wouldn't be worth it because Trey is the better player. Um, the same can be said for Soto, and it's not that Soto was struggling as a three-hole hitter, but he's 
going to get more at bats, like Ryan said, as the two hole hitter. And the way this team is currently constructed, no matter how you piece together the lineup, it's good in certain spots, but overall it's not great. So the best thing that this team can do is put Trey first. And most of the time he's on base, he's going to be in a position to score, even if it's from first, because he's just that fast. And obviously we all know what Juan Soto is capable of doing. So ball in the gap, Trey can score from first. You take an early 1-0 lead. And then on the flip side, your team is constructed on pitching. And you have three, now four with Joe Ross, great pitchers who in theory can take over a game when they are on. So if you can manufacture a couple quick runs from the top of your lineup with your two best guys on offense, you can win games 3-0, 2-0, 3-1, whatever it may be, and kind of you don't need as many runs and you don't need to make it a slugfest in that regard. But you have to be able to manufacture runs. So if putting Robles first is starting you off with an easy out at the beginning of the inning and just hampering the rest of your lineup, it's not worth it. The... You know, moving him down to the bottom of the lineup, it just, he doesn't make sense anywhere else. You're not going to bat him fifth. He doesn't have enough power. You're not going to bat him sixth. Like, he, he's not really great protection for anyone up there. And then, you know, at that point, if you're already batting him seventh, might as well put him at the bottom because, like Ryan said, Davey loves the double leadoff thing. And in theory, if Robles can get on at a decent clip, then you have two runners in scoring position for Juan Soto. So... I get it, and I think I don't think any of us are surprised that it happened. I'll agree that I was surprised it happened so early, but I'm also glad that it did. So that way we can kind of figure it out now, and hopefully our offense starts clicking with guys like Bell and Shore were back, and we can really get rolling and kind of make up for the uh, subpar pitching we've been getting. Yeah, it would have been nice if he could have held down that leadoff spot because we discussed a few episodes ago how much it lengthened the lineup if he could. But I, and maybe he'll, maybe he'll start doing better hitting down lower, and and we'll see an opportunity for him to try look, hitting lead up leadoff again. But right now, the way he's performing, you just you can't have it. So it was kind of an inevitability. Although it would have been nice if he could have at least. You know, let us get a better look at the you know, get get a better look at what it could have looked like if he were if he were hitting better. But it is what it is. Leadoff is just a completely different approach. Like we we've seen Trey struggle at being the leadoff hitter, and mm-hmm. honestly, he's not the best at leading off. It's just his skill set lends itself to being a leadoff hitter, and but that doesn't mean there's nothing left to be desired. Like Trey could get on and not chase so much and stuff. So it's not an easy thing and not everyone can do it well. So maybe it just Robles, seemed like he was maybe figuring it out in spring training. And it was like, I was spring so training. So like, that's why, you know, everyone says don't put too much stock in the spring training because there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of guys who are just prospects and, you know, spring training invites and the regulars don't really play that much. So a good spring doesn't mean anything if it doesn't carry over into, you know, the season. So obviously everyone, the Nats would be, you know, better off if Robles figured it out. But he may just be better at the bottom of the lineup. Like it remains to be seen, but it wasn't working out the 
at the uh, leadoff spot. So why keep him there if it's not working out? Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, we have an interview for you guys, but before we do that, Nick, you get a word from our sponsor, please. Yes. Heaters, this interview you're about to listen to and all of our interviews are brought to you in part by Manscaped. I want to point you in the direction of a special package and no, not that kind of package, the performance package that has a luxury grooming kit featuring the lawnmower 3.0 and the weed whacker trimmers. If you've ever looked at Manscaped, they have probably more than you might have guessed with um, not just the lawnmower, but like I said, the weed whacker and some nice formulas and even some gear with some t-shirts and some very, very comfy boxers. But maybe you can't decide what to treat yourself with. Let me point you to the performance package because it has everything bundled all into one. The lawnmower 3.0, the weed whacker, like I said, it also comes with the crop preserver and the crop reviver and a little magic mat. So you, you don't make a mess as you're grooming. It has everything you want and half street high heat sky you covered. Use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. And for a limited time only, you get free boxers and a toiletry bag and free shipping. Well, you get that free shipping with uh, our promo code, but free boxers and a toiletry bag when you buy the performance package. So please go to Manscaped, buy the performance package or anything else you like. Use our promo code and help us help you help us. That is good advice. Okay. Well, we are now going to play the interview for you that we did with Scott Abraham of ABC7. Um, he was kind enough to give us a little bit of his time to talk Nats. He had a big interview recently with Mark Lerner, and we got to talk about that as well as some other topics. So hope you guys enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We are uh, interviewing Scott Abraham today from ABC7 News. Uh, Monty is with me for this interview. You can find Scott on Twitter at Scott7News, and his writing is online at WJLA.com. Lots of great content there. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. How are you doing? Amanda, Monty, thank you so much. I really appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Let's, so, talk, let's um, talk some baseball. I love it. I love it. Baseball's back. The Nats are back. Fans are back in the ballpark. I'm ready to go, guys. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm actually going to the game on the 30th. It'll be my first time back in Nats Park since the night they won the World Series. I was there for the oh, watch party. Oh, memory lane. See, it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it, guys? <laughs> it does. Oh, yeah. It seems like so long ago. And then not being able and to I go was, last I year. Was in, um, I was in Houston when they won it all. So that's, uh, oh, man. I, did not, I got zero sleep that night, but it was all worth it. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely I, worth it. Definitely worth it. I got zero sleep <laughs> that night because I was actually supposed to fly out Scott that day on the thir on the the night they won to go on a trip to Europe with my oldest who was 19 at the time, and uh, I ended up pushing my flight out one day so that I could. Oh, that was smart. That was smart. I could wow, go that, down that's to that's so You had you had the celebration and then you had a nice little vacation, but you missed the parade. I did miss the parade. I did miss the parade. My son, it was so funny. I was like watching it all on my phone, and he was like, "Are you just watching that parade while we're in Budapest?" <laughs> I was like, "No, yes, maybe I am." So anyway, good memories. good memories indeed. So let's start off by talking a little bit about your interview you did recently with Mark Lerner. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of great stuff in there. I've watched it several times. Uh, what did you learn from that? Was there anything in it that surprised you? Or um, 
I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I started off, you know, with the, with the nice questions in terms of great to be back and, uh, um, you know, what are your expectations for the team? When can we have a full ballpark? But obviously the magic question and what Nats fans that listen to your podcast and people that follow me on Twitter, they all want to know what's the deal with Juan Soto. Okay, we've seen Bryce Harper leave Washington. We've seen Anthony Rendon leave Washington. Homegrown talent. Here's another one, Juan Soto. What's going to happen here, Mr. Lerner? Can we, can we expect a long-term contract? And, you know, he gave me the political response, unfortunately, and kind of put the ball in the agent's court and uh, Scott Boris saying, you know, we've, we've had discussions, you know, we've made an offer. It's now, um, you know, in their court in a sense. So, you know, typical bargaining and leveraging. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of twists and turns to go with Juan Soto in this negotiation. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Um, I don't know. Having watched these other homegrown guys go, it's been such a heartbreaker each yep. time. And we've always, we've joked a lot on the podcast about how, you know, it's always, oh, well, they need to let, they need to let Harper go so they can pay Rendon. And then they need to let Rendon go so they can pay Trey. And you know, it's like always seems like the next guy. And here we are with, with Soto, who is looking like he's going to be, you know, a bigger superstar than either of those guys. Although both of those guys are terrific, obviously, but I don't see how with Boris as an agent, it's, it's actually realistic that they sign Soto. I don't expect that they're likely to get that done. I'd certainly be thrilled if they did. Do you, what are your actual expectations? And, and that's the frustrating part, Amanda, because I think you take the approach of similar, what Nats fans are feeling because they've been burned twice already with Harper and Rendon. So I think their expectations are fairly low that, you know, Soto is going to stay long-term to Washington and, uh, that's a lot of money to shell out to one player. I mean, that's going to be a record-setting contract. You know, Tatis in San Diego kind of set the bar earlier this year, and Soto's probably going to top that. Now, granted, um, you know, Max Scherzer, his contract probably is probably going to get off the books this year. Who knows what his future holds? You got the big contract with Strasburg. Uh, so, you know, again, we'll see, and uh, I'm sure, again, uh, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs, a roller coaster ride of, various reports and innuendos so uh ideally you don't want to see you know 22 year old 23 year old soto leave washington in the prime of his career but um i think nats fans are already mentally preparing (laughs) yeah so if we're putting you on the spot right now what do you think happens? Do you think an extension happens? And if, if so, for how long, how much If we're putting you under the gun right now? I mean, I, I think, um, I think it's too early to say, but I, I think the learners know Juan Soto is a special player, a special talent, a world talent. He is known globally, Juan Soto. And um, I would lean thinking they're, they're going to lock him up. I, I, I don't know. I, I, something tells me they're not going to let Soto go. Um, for, in terms of money contract, I mean, you're going to be thinking – it's probably going to be seven, eight years, big time contract. What four hundred million, three, three over, you know, over three fifty. Uh, it's going to be big money, guys. And um, you know, you can't, you can't lowball a Juan Soto because he has the numbers, he has the track record. And look what Tatis, he he set the bar already. So you know, Soto and Boris and company, they're going to want that record breaking contract. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I also kind of wonder whether he's going to be looking for something in that seven, eight year range or if he's going to be wanting one of those big long term deals like Harper took. And I think yeah, that what, what just Harper depends take? on him. I don't even remember. 13, remember how many years? 
It was 13. Was it 13? 13. Goodness, goodness, goodness. Yeah, with no opt outs for the team goodness. or the player. It was that was they got married. No dating for them. 13 years. Yeah. 330. I mean, I, I can't you know, I think, um, you know, Bryce is obviously a little older than Juan. And, um, you know, maybe that's what Bryce wanted and, and maybe that's what Juan wants but I, I think maybe a seven eight year deal and then he'll probably have one more contract after that to conclude his career I can't see Juan signing a 15 year 13 year deal maybe I'll be surprised but I think uh, that was a special set of circumstances with with Bryce and yeah, I, I don't know I why hate... anybody would <laughs> yeah and I I mean, hate especially, to... especially if you're unhappy like let's go with the player's perspective and why would you want to be married or locked up for 13 years if you're completely miserable and the team's terrible and you want to go to a winner, you want to win a World Series? And ultimately, Bryce Harper, he wants to win a World Series. He's a competitor. He wants that ring. What's going to happen, guys, you know, seven, eight years down the road here in Philly if he doesn't win a World Series? And you think he's going to want to try to get out and try to win a World Series? You're darn right he will. Yeah, I don't think he can. Yeah. Well, and, and, well yeah. the other the other question a lot of Nats fans are going to ask too when we're talking about these negotiations and the extension is the big the dreaded D word with deferments and and you know do you think well, that'll be involved and in... yeah well the Nationals are known for that aren't they Monty yep yeah absolutely so, I mean I, I guarantee you probably uh, that'll be at the negotiating table but I know Scott Boris as well uh, and I don't know if Boris will will go that route uh, with the with the deferments but you know learners and, and the Nationals that's kind of their mo and they've done that. Uh, quite a bit of time. So you know the Nationals are going to push for that. I don't know if Boris is going to take that bait. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another question, how is this going to also impact Trey Turner's negotiations? Yeah. I mean, he, he you got to think, you know, those are obviously the big two right there in Turner and, and Soto. And I really love Turner's game. Uh, you know, he's such a great player in terms of, you know, top of the lineup, you know, setting the table. He's effective on the base pass, um, and, you know, he's a great shortstop. Um, you know, I, I think Turner's going to stay here. I think he's happy here. He just had a, a baby, uh, starting a family. Um, I think they want to put some roots down. So uh, I, think, I think Turner I think Turner will be done before Soto if, if, oh, wow. if, if I was a betting man. Oh, I would think uh, so would, as well. That would be great. So. I would love to see it, uh, you know, just one of these guys to say here. I know that they didn't draft him, but, you know, it feels like. I remember he was the player to be named later in that deal that brought us guys, to Ross. Let's, let's get greedy. Why not both? Soto and Turner, huh? <laughs> let's yeah, do absolutely. it. Let's get greedy. From your lips to Mark Lerner's ears. Let's mm -hmm. do that. <laughs> so um, yeah. let's shift gears here just a little bit. Um, earlier in this conversation, you mentioned about um, the big contract that Strasburg got. I want to talk a little bit about Nat's pitching, which um, oh, obviously. I'm, I'm, I'm worried. Me too. Me I'm too. Um, they've got I mean, a Corbin, huge amount of money tied up in that rotation, and they're not Corbin looking so got good. shelled again. Two two straight starts. Dodgers and against the Diamondbacks. Mm -hmm. um, Strasburg had a great first outing, but um, his velo was extremely down uh, against the um, uh, St. Louis Cardinals. That third inning, I think he had like five pitches 91. under ninety miles per hour, which is not typical of Strasburg. Uh, there was a shot of him in the tunnel you know, rubbing his neck, rubbing his shoulder, obviously concerning with his injury history. And again, Max Scherzer, um, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes with Scherzer, you know, he's going to give up his early home runs, um, but he, he seems to always right the ship. But the, the biggest revelation, guys, is Joe Ross. Yeah. I thought Joe Ross would be the ace of the staff so far. 
uh, in the early part of the going. He takes a year off, and he looks like uh, NL Cy Young candidate. I mean, he is phenomenal. Has not allowed a run in two starts. Fantastic against the Dodgers. Brilliant against the Cardinals. I'm really excited about Joe Ross. Again, you have John Lester. You have Eric Fetty. Um, but you got to have Corbin. You got to have Strasburg and Scherzer step up. Corbin's the the really the the puzzling one because he was fantastic in 2019. Had a terrible year in 2020. I mean, how much stock can you take into 2020? Because it was such a bizarre and unique year for everybody. But he's not off to a good start this year. So. Corbin's the one I'm really concerned about. Strasburg, hopefully there's nothing injury-related. Uh, and then Scherzer, he's going to do his thing. He's going to have his good outings and kind of bad outings as well. Yeah, I think that's true. I do think Corbin's very concerning. And, you know, I was kind of looking at the last one and going, hey, everybody has an off night. But then, you know, you're looking at what's happening oh. tonight. And it just, he can't find the strike zone. I mean, I'm not watching it now. All over, I... all over the plate. I mean, there's no consistency and the slider's not working. The, the, the Diamondbacks are sitting on pitches. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's concerning. So I don't know if the layoff with the COVID scare with him being out for a week set him back. But he's got to get his stuff together because he's, you know, that third head of that three-headed monster. And he's not producing like that big contract he has. He is certainly not. And Ross has been terrific so far. And Ooh. I was just yeah. joking with my husband yesterday that maybe the uh, maybe the year off was just the thing for him and for Zimmerman. Well, I mean, maybe taking right, a year off then, is what everybody I needs. I mean, Amanda and Monty, maybe they're, they're maybe they found something here. Maybe you take a year off and you come back yep. better than ever. I think I should try it. I should just right. take well, a year off. Why don't off. we all take a year off of work and then we come back and we'll be all refreshed and ready to go. I was actually just telling my work that today. I was saying, <laughs> if you guys give me a paid year off, or yeah. I was like, a sabbatical, but, if you will, a yeah. sabbatical, yeah, yeah, I'll come back stronger and, and more productive. Oh, I know. Yeah. So it's it's, it's actually. Remarkable. I mean, what can you say about Ryan Zimmerman? I mean, what what a joy he's been to cover for so many years here in Washington, and he just keeps producing, and he's he's just locked in right now. He was locked in at spring training, locked in at the plate. It's been it's just awesome to see because he's such a great guy on and off the diamond. He's that leadership role inside the clubhouse, irreplaceable. Uh, so it's really great to see that he's still producing, uh, you know, after taking a year off and he's kind of in the twilight of his career, unfortunately. It looks like he's having a good time too, which is nice. You know, right. and, I mean, and I, no I pressure. Think, <laughs> I think you appreciate um, the game a little bit more when you're, when you're away from it. Right. I mean, you're, it's taken away from you and you sit out and, um, you know, there's those special memories and moments you make with your teammates on the road in the clubhouse, little things that, you know, we don't see every day. So I think that's the, the, the special part for Zim. Yeah. And if he can come off the bench and contribute like he's been doing, I mean, that's oh, a bonus bonus. Oh guys. yeah. Yeah. It was nice. I mean, we were able to give Josh Bell a rest yesterday, uh, in the finale against the Cardinals and, and Zimmerman came in and, and obviously, I mean, with the, with the bomb there made, made all the difference. Uh, yeah. well, other than Joe Ross's <laughs> outstanding Gem, performance, right? but yeah, yeah, but it was really great to see. So, um, there's, um, you know, there's, there's, there's positives and with this team already, and there's obviously some concerning points. It's still early, you know, Nats fans again are accustomed to slow starts. Uh, yeah. 1931 that rings a bell. Uh, last year they got off to an awful start and it looks like this year they're getting off to a slow start as well. Um, you don't want to see that. You don't want to have them dig themselves in an early hole, but that COVID situation really put them behind the eight ball. And now it's up to them to kind of 
crawl their way back out with this homestand. You got the Diamondbacks, you got the Cardinals, and then I think you have the Blue Jays and the Marlins coming in again soon. So the, the schedule lightens up a little bit, but the starting pitching is a concern. Who's the long-term solution at third base? Carter Keeboom, that's, that's been a disappointment. Uh, so there are some positives and negatives already with this ball club. Yep, that is to say the least. Keyboom has definitely been a uh, not what we had all banked on. And unfortunately, they didn't really go out and address that in the offseason in any way. And, and there's just no depth at that position at all. So I don't know how that's nope. going to shake out. But the infield on paper is definitely not not so formidable. <laughs> no, I mean, it's uh, they're they're kind of in a sense they're they're just putting a Band-Aid there, Amanda and Monty, in a sense. Um, and there's no long-term solution right now that I can see unless they do something, the trade deadline, and they're in contention. Um, but they're just going to have to kind of like piecemeal together with utility guys, guys that can play multiple positions. And, you know, they had, they had holes to fill uh, in the offseason in terms of, you know, Adam Eaton left, so they had to get Kyle Schwarber. And you had to look at the starting pitching because – uh, Anibal Sanchez left, so you had to get another starter. Uh, the catcher situation, you had to get new catchers. So there's there was just a lot of needs, and uh, unfortunately, you can't satisfy everything. And they thought Carter Keboom was the guy, and right now he's not the guy, and not looking like the guy. So uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty big disappointment because I was hoping I was really hoping you know giving him the chance and and giving him the time and uh, the spring training it, I mean it was his job to lose and he managed to lose it and it was extremely disappointing to see because I thought we'd see a lot more from him. Yeah, Monty, that's the thing. Like when he when Carter Keboom came came on board, you know everybody talked about what a great hitter he was. You know how he was so difficult to get out at the plate and uh, so consistent at the plate and the questions were on defense in, in, in that hot corner and how do you replace an Anthony Rendon with that glove and defensive play but not with Carter Keboom as it turns it's out his, it's his bat that's been very disappointing and surprising that what is going on with Carter Keboom I thought he was going to be a good hitter and the question marks were going to be in the field but he's been struggling quite a bit at the plate yeah and and as Nats fans we've been kind of spoiled uh from 06 to you know 2019 we basically had Zimmerman and Rendon um at third base the entire time. I think there was one year where Rendon got a little hurt, I think 2015, and Yunel Escobar had to play most of the year at third. But other than that, it's been, it's been Zimmerman and Rendon, and now there's this massive hole at third base that we're uh, not really used to. We've been yep. spoiled a bit. Yep, that's something they got to address, uh, if not this year, next year. Yes, hoping Absolutely. for this year. <laughs> Maybe yeah, it's I mean, it, all depends, it all depends if they're in contention. I mean, yeah. if, they're, if they're out of the playoff race and you look at the NL East, it's going to be tough. Uh, it's going to be a battle every series. They, just, they can't fall behind, guys. They can't go 19-31. Yeah. and 31. They, can't, they can't be kind of climbing the ladder on June 1st. You can't, you can't dig yourself a hole and expect to come back year in, year out. So, no, and not in this division, not this year. They, they, got, they got to start moving here in late April and May. Um, if they're struggling uh, mid-May, late, late May, I'm, I'm very concerned. Again, I think it's all going to come down to starting pitching. If the pitching's not there, they're in trouble. I mean, Cor you can't have Corbin give up 10 runs in two innings. No, that seems not ideal. Yes. Yeah. Not ideal. <laughs> although, although if we are in contention, the name, the name Chris Bryant pops out a little yep. bit. So I that mean, would we, be... we are turning into the Chicago Cubs, aren't we? 
Right, yeah. the Washington well, we, Cubs. We yeah, do we have got, two. We got Davey Martinez, Schwarber, Lester. Yeah. Why not Chris Bryant? Yeah. We also have a bunch of Pirates because we got Jordy Mercer and uh, Josh Harrison. So with and the NFL Josh, and Josh Bell. And Josh Bell. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Forgot the big one. <laughs> Forgot the big one. Forgot the big one. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, kind of your predictions for the NL East this year. We just touched on this division is, yeah. is a buzzsaw, to borrow a phrase. What do you where do you see it all shaking out? Where do you think? the Nats are going to wind up in the final standings. Well, well, before the season started, before the COVID situation in spring training, we kind of had a Nationals preview show, and I thought the Braves was going to be the, were going to be the top team in the division. I said the Braves would win the NL East, um, and right now I think, what, they're in last place or near last place, so they've gotten off to a slow start as well. Um, and, and I thought the Nationals would be in contention for a wild card spot, and I thought that they would get that second, second wild card I think I thought the Nats would sneak in and then you have the Mets and the Phillies and the Marlins. Um, so again, it's going to be a dogfight all year long. I think, I, I think the Braves just from top to bottom, from rotation to lineup, I think they're the best team. I think the Mets have a filthy rotation. Uh, and then the, the addition of Lindor is massive for the Mets. They have their face of the franchise. Philly, uh, they got the bats, they got the lineup. I'm not sure on the pitching. And the Marlins, they're sneaky too. They're young, but they're upcoming. Uh, they're up and coming. So, And that's my concern with Washington is you look at the Marlins, they're young, they're hungry, they're up and coming. And then you look at the Nationals, they're such a veteran ball club. You know, they've climbed the mountaintop. A lot of these guys you know, are, are older in, in a veteran group. And that's my concern of everybody likes to talk about the window. Is the window closing? Do they have a two- to three-year window to win the World Series? And then they have to go through kind of like a rebuild with what the Phillies did and the Marlins did. Uh, so that, that's, that's a concerning factor with, with the age of our team. Yeah, veteran is definitely a nice way to put it. I've, I heard someone re- yesterday refer to them as geriatric, but that seems a little harsh. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to go that <laughs> far. Come on now. No, but they're um, they definitely are a veteran ball club. But this team has always been built around pitching, and um, the pitching yep. staff is one of the oldest in the league. And yep. again, they've they've outperformed a lot of years. This, you know, obviously it's so early in the year; it's hard to say, you know, kind of how is this all going to look two months down the line or three months down the line from now. But right now, I'm extremely concerned about their pitching, and and as you pointed out, it's all going to come down to that. If if yeah, their I pitching mean, I, can't I, perform, I wouldn't hit the. I wouldn't hit the panic button yet, but it's trending in that direction. And, uh, you know, you go back to when they won the World Series with the decision they had to make between do you keep Steven Strasburg or do you keep Anthony Rendon? I said Strasburg all along. I don't know how you guys felt, but, um, you know, I think starting pitching is such a premium in Major League Baseball. And if you had to pick one or the other, I was going with Strasburg. Yeah, I think it'd be different if we had uh, if we had a little bit better track record developing pitchers and had somebody ready to go in, in you know maybe in the in the minor leagues because uh, we have in our in our mind we have Keyboom to, to replace Rendon and along with you know getting a couple other guys. So yeah, in my opinion, I was with you on on Strasburg over yeah. Rendon. I actually said both, but I <laughs> clearly was playing with somebody else's. Yeah, money. you're greedy, Monty. <laughs> greedy. You're not the one handing out the checks, big guy. Yeah, exactly. I don't mind spending other people's money, though. Oh, of course. I mean, <laughs> come on. Oh, you want this much? Sure, no problem. There you go. Here's a blank yeah, I, check. You just take yeah. it. And I hope yeah. that's what they do with soda. Just 
I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna hand you this check, and I would just like you to write a number on it, sir. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, at the end of the day, it's a business, and the learners, um, you know, even though they're one of the richest owners in all of baseball, they have a business to run outside of baseball as well. So, I understand it all comes down to money and bottom line and financials. So, they got to run a business at the same time and also put a good ball club on the field. So, it's a tough balancing act. Yes, indeed. Indeed it is. Yeah, okay. so it's, it's easy for us to talk about, yeah, give them this, give them this money, but mm-hmm. we're not the ones writing the check, you know? Right. So speaking of revenue, uh, do you think the, with the pandemic, I know you, you talked about it briefly with Mark Lerner. I did. Um, do you think that the, the loss of revenue is going to affect us majorly, uh, you know, as we're trying to add free agencies or extend? I, I do. I do. I really do because, I mean, you look at, businesses, small businesses, restaurants, any type of business across this country, everybody's hurting, guys. It's been a, such a difficult year uh, for everybody. And, 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 us, and, me, and us in television, I mean, we're hurting because we depend on advertisements and, and advertisers. And people that advertise with us, their businesses aren't making as much money. So it's a trickle-down effect, you know what I mean? And that's exactly what's going to happen with baseball and professional teams. These owners... Their pockets are not as full as years past because of the loss of revenue in terms of fannies in seats, people buying apparel, people buying concession stands. It all adds up, guys, and it's going to impact, you know, just the bottom line of maintaining players or how much you want to spend. Unfortunately, the pandemic um, impacts everything in, in, in professional sports and baseball. It's going to be no different. So. To answer your question, yes, I think the loss of revenue, COVID-19, this past year and a half, it's going to have an impact on on retaining players, signing players for, for a couple of years, I believe. Oh, no. Uh, that's not <laughs> what I want to hear, but I've, I, I expected it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I think that's probably going to ring true across most teams, except I guess the Dodgers have decided that they don't care. But for most everybody else, I imagine you're going to see yeah. maybe some decreased spending from these owners as they recover it. You know, they all have businesses outside of baseball. Correct. By and large, and, and they're going to be needing to probably pinch pennies. Yeah, that, them, them pinching pennies compared to me and you pinching pennies. Right, exactly. A little different, but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So we understand that, um, you know, they have business interests interest, interest in mind and um, they got to run a, an operation. So you got to respect that. Absolutely. Okay, so um, we talked about what you expect for the NLEs. Give us, before we let you run, a uh, final win total for the Nats prediction. Hmm. I think I had them at, I think I had them at like 89, 90, 91 wins around there. Um, I, I thought they would be around that mark uh, this season. Uh, I know that was all before. I was going to say, uh, is that still true now that you've seen that the first couple weeks of COVID the season? And, um, you know, during our spring training preview show, I, I figured it was 89, 90, 91 wins uh, and they'd get the second wild card. You know, I, I'm not, I can't panic right now, guys. What are we, 10 games in the season, and it's still early. It's still two weeks in. You got to let it play out. Uh, we, we can do this again maybe end of May, and then I might have a different tune. Uh, so let's circle back in end of May, and, and we can do this all over again and see if my opinion changes. <laughs> that, 
that works. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be awesome. The, yeah. So the real last question, since uh, I'll ask the real last one. No, no, I have one more too. So this oh, is yeah, the second okay. to last. This is the penultimate <laughs> question. Okay. All right. Oh, there okay. we go. Um, the World Series matchup. Ooh. Who's your World Series matchup? Mm. Should be that's the Nats. That's mine. But <laughs> <laughs> that um, is a good one. I, I got I got the Dodgers still coming out of the NL. Uh huh. Um, Hard to argue and then with in that. The AL. I don't know. I'm. I feel weird that Houston's gonna get there again. Oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> Gross. I know. I know. But yeah. Oh, I, I wouldn't I think, be surprised. I, I like. I like Dusty. I'd love to see yeah. Dusty get there and and try to win one selfishly. Um, but I'd also love to see the Dodgers just bully the crap out of Houston for what they did to them a few years oh, ago yeah. when they when they won the World Series over the Dodgers. So. Give me Houston and the Dodgers in the World Series and the Dodgers uh, getting some revenge and maybe some bench-clearing brawls along the, pro- uh, along the process. I could get that. Could, I could get behind that. All right, so here lines. is – yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would not be a boring World Series, that's for sure. Now, like Yankees-Dodgers would be boring to me. There would be some fireworks with the, with, the, with the Dodgers and the Astros. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the two, two, two blue bloods of Major League Baseball, Yankees-Dodgers – you know, Major League Baseball would be salivating they would. if they had a Yankees-Dodgers World Series. That'd be like Christmas for them. Uh-huh. They just want those revenue numbers from the big oh, markets, though. Oh, the, the revenue and, for the rest and of us. viewership on television would be sky high. Yes, I suppose it would, but I'm hoping for something a little bit more surprising. Yeah. You never right. know. I do think it's going to be the Dodgers, but, you know, I guess you have to, that's why they play the games. Yes, they do. Hey, they, the Dodgers are the favorite when the Nationals beat them in 2019 so um that was that famous call the nationals take down a heavyweight oh yeah yeah. it gives me chills all right so this is your real last question we ask this of all (laughs) of our guests pro pro dh or anti dh i am i'm a baseball purist guys yes all right we're all in agreement on this yes so nick and ryan are both dh they so, love the DH. They want it in the National League. We have this argument on the podcast all the time. So yep. I'm always happy when we get a guest who agrees I, with I'm me. I'm a baseball purist. You know, I grew up with the DH in the NL. And um, this whole wonky starting on second base, softball rule, seven inning double headers. Uh, I, I don't like it. I'm a purist. Let's play two. Let's play nine innings. This is what, you know. This is what you live for and, and not this let's go fifteen innings if have to. You don't you don't you don't put a runner on second type deal and you don't have a DH in the NL. You you have the pitcher put the bat on the shoulder and take a couple of whacks. So I am a purist. I want to keep it the way it is in terms of DH and AL and you keep it uh, no DH in the NL. But I think I'm gonna ultimately lose out and I think we're heading toward a DH uh, permanently. Yes, I think you're right. And we, I, all three of us here on, on this particular uh, interview are against the DH and the NL, well, but I'm I think we're all we going to lose this, out. <laughs> I'm glad we can end this podcast all friends still. Yes, simpatico. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. It was really great to chat with you. We appreciate yep. your time. Hopefully we can do this again. Maybe we'll around that end yeah, of May well, time frame and do, see what we're looking again, like. Late May and uh, maybe we can uh, be crying in our beers or maybe we'll be <laughs> Oh, boy, look at this. The Nats look good type deal. So uh, give it about a month and a half, and we'll see. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. All right. 
Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to follow Scott, you should find him on Twitter at Scott7News and check out his writing at WJLA.com. And Scott, we will talk with you again soon. Have a great night. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. Thank you. Thanks again so much to Scott for joining us. We really appreciate it. You guys make sure to um, check him out. You can find him at the website, find him on Twitter. Um, he is a great interview, and he did say he's going to join us again sometime probably around late May so we can talk about how the Nats are doing and whether they're uh, looking like they're going to be in contention going down the stretch. So you guys got anything else before we get out of here? No, I think we're good. Let's win a game. Tire this one, one, lose Let's- one. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get it. Win one. It's happened before. It's called a winning streak. Oh, also, um, thank you to Dimitri Orlov for scoring a goal in the McNugget match tonight. Is. So free nuggets for everybody today. Free nugget or tomorrow, I mean. Free nuggets tomorrow. Everybody go get your nuggies. Nuggies. Who says nuggies? nuggies. I love nuggies. <laughs> you know what happens, Ryan, when you win one, lose one? You stink. Uh, no, you're you're just a 500 team, which is what we all expected the Nats to be. Actually, actually, they'd be four games under 500. Oh, so they're even worse. So <laughs> talk about real disappointment from uh, your nation's capitals baseball team. Yeah, but it was a rough yeah. one tonight. But there's always some. We'll get him tomorrow. <laughs> get him tomorrow. Max gets the Max gets the ball tomorrow. Yes, Max is on the mound. So hopefully with a better result. All right, guys, have a good night. He pitched well last time. Sorry, go ahead. You never know. Yeah, he did pitch well last time. So, you know, and he's always been kind of the guy we look to to be the stopper, although not like we're on a big losing streak because we had that one win in there. But, uh, yeah, we need to to start winning more than we lose. That's my big advice to the Nats, if anybody wants. Hell of an advice right there. I don't know why more (laughs) teams don't do that. I know. It's so simple. I don't know why everybody doesn't just do that. Baseball is easy. It's so simple. Why can't everybody just take my advice? Yep. All right. Well, we will talk next week. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We appreciate you listening as always. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at Half Street High Heat, at the website, halfstreethighheat.com, and on YouTube at The Rundown with Half Street High Heat. Uh, You guys have a good night. Talk soon. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play We're gonna win today, let's go Senator, we're shredding the competitors. We're set to send the pen at home for all.
Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.